Oh my God, it's this vast, beautiful Excel spreadsheet. Do you know what today is? January 31st. It's the last day of my episode a day podcast series. It is. Thank you very much for supporting me in this endeavor. You're welcome. It was rather epic. It was rather epic. It was really amazing. Have you liked them? Some of the ones you've listened to? Yeah, yeah, very much. Very much. I think what I said before, everyone is amazing. There's something amazing about everyone. Yeah. So I think that's it. Okay, good night. It's been a really wonderful experience to have deep conversations with people. And, you know, part of that is that we haven't been seeing people. And so we haven't had those deep conversations. Chatting with uh, Jennifer yesterday totally reminded me of how much we used to do that kind of thing with people. The 10-day sleepover in Paris. For example. For example, six, seven-hour conversations well into the depths of the night. Yeah. There's something really wonderful about connecting with people. Making the time to have a deep conversation. Yeah. Giving it the permission and and no boundaries so it can wander where it wants. That's a really amazing thing. What did you learn about conversation? It's one thing to interview somebody with a specific topic with regards to technology, but when you're talking to a person about some intimate details about their life or their worldview. How was that different? I think the listening really turns on. You know, when I was doing Geek Speak for years, I was thinking about the audience, making sure they understood what we were talking about. So the listening was about what would other people think of this conversation. It's a big part of it. But, you know, when somebody describes something complicated about maybe a judicial thing regarding uh, technology type thing that we have to break into... When you go into that space, the entire time I'm listening to like Ben speak about it, I'm thinking, where is it someone might not be following what he's saying? He uses a word that might be a little bit complex or he uses a phrase that's maybe not in the everyday parlance. And so, and I think the geeks would do that with me as well. And so the listening was about comprehension, not necessarily understanding. And because I most of the time understood the, like I got it most of the time. It was more about, is it easy to digest? And these, I, w- I wasn't doing that at all. I was really like completely, do I understand it? it? What are you saying there? Let me hear that more. I want to get it. And then sometimes I chime in with some anecdote of mine or whatever. The big thing though for this whole thing was that I really, I have a tendency to talk fast and I think I overwrite people way too much. And there's a lot more opportunity to learn from other people while just being quiet. Overwrite? Do you mean like over talk or yeah. overwrite? That was just an interesting way of phrasing it. Yeah, I think it might be a phrasing for my family. I don't, I don't know where it came from, but yeah, <laughs> it's talking over somebody. Sure. Do I ever do that to you? <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> I'm trying to, trying to put on my radio hat. Does that ever happen to you? Please do tell. Yeah, I do that to you all the time. Yeah. Well, we've talked about the impatience factor of waiting for somebody to get the words out. and. We've talked about giving somebody the time and patience to articulate things the way that they choose is our opportunity to learn the most from what's being said and to jump on somebody and finish their sentence for them is not 
terribly empowering. And I think it was a bad habit that came from you have 56 minutes and eight of those minutes is taken up with underwriting. You're talking about the NPR clock. I'm talking about the NPR clock. And at the half hour, you must do 3.2 minutes of business. And I think there was a lot of pressure there when we were doing live radio and we were having members of our community join in the conversation and trying to help them with a question or a problem that they were having. You kind of got in the habit, I think, of helping them ask their question quickly. You know, I'm on the backside already telling you what their question is. So the geeks could be researching it and pulling up the reference material necessary to give an articulate, accurate answer. But part of that was you could see the clock. And that's what's beautiful about the podcast format is you can have whatever clock you want. It's just how much sleep I want to consume in (laughs) editing. (laughs) Yeah, I think you're right. It's a lot about that radio tone. But I do it outside of radio, outside of production. I just do it in general. I'm quick with thinking and I like to think while I'm talking, which makes me a good person on radio. But for other people that don't think with words, it doesn't work. So you and I have this dynamic where I talk for us. <laughs> I'm a little empathetic and it just it's messed up. I'm sorry. Well, thank you. When you say talk for us, I take that within the social context. Because you are very comfortable in social situations where I am not. I didn't mean it in that context, but yes, that's true as well. I think there's another aspect of this that I don't like the idea of being in a social space. And if you want to say something that I cut you off, and I do, and I notice that about myself, I really, it's, it's hard. And that comes from environments where everybody was being as loud as possible and they, to get their word out. If you're interested in that topic, see the interview with Tom. Uh, <laughs> But even in our interpersonal relationship, when we talk about things that are intimate, um, I don't mean romantically intimate, but just, you know, close between the two of us, you'll have a thought and what I have picked up, and I don't know if this is true, and please correct me if it isn't, you are thinking about it in a nonverbal way. You have like imagery or other ways of comprehending what's happening. And to share your thoughts with me, you have to then translate them into words. Yes. And so sometimes, because I kind of pick up on what's going on for you, I sometimes translate. Then you'll say, okay, kind of like that. We have this dynamic where it's like, I'm talking more than I'm learning from you sometimes. Sometimes. It's hard to translate. For me, I don't immediately have ideas or even my feelings in words first. Mm -hmm. It's colors, it's shapes, it's... A different pictorial language that is not English. You know what I'm going to do now, right? Yeah. (laughs) What am I going to do now, Max? You're going to out me. (laughs) I'm going to pick your brain about what that means. I'm going to make you translate for us real time. When you notice that I left the towel on the floor, and specifically I'm doing something that I don't very much do, but it's a good one, right? Is that a thought first that's in English or is it a feeling that happens? What's the space look like? What does it feel like to walk in the room and see the t- wet towel on the floor? You can use the kids if you want as an example. It's fine with me. The experience of it is uh, an amorphous shape that is brown, gray, and heavy. Is that a visual thing or a 
is it in your visual in your mind? Does it decorate the scene? Does it over? Does it interact with the environment you're seeing, or is it like a, is it like a sub context of the thing you're seeing? It's a sub context. Like it, it, that would be my curse word. You could translate that into a curse the, word. No, the the physical representation of how I see that in my mind, how I feel it in my body. If you were to translate it into English, would be fuck. Would be a curse word. <laughs> what what curse word is the brown? A uh, grayish brown blobby heavy thing. Probably uh, an annoyed F word. You can swear. It's okay. I don't particularly like that word. <laughs> you totally swear sometimes. I do. I do. <laughs> when I put a towel on the I ground. don't, I don't, I totally do curse. I embrace cursing. Cursing sometimes super, super fun. I am having a, a personal dialogue with myself these days about the evolution of languages and words. And I think a lot about what it sounds like, what it feels like to say, what its historical context is. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to be sloppy with my words. I, I, I can't because I have to choose them and translate them all the time. When you are in a space of being happy, let's say there's jokes happening and the kids are doing something funny and we're, and it's a spring day and there's just a a bubbliness in you that leads you to giggle easily, for example. What does that experience feel like? A kaleidoscope. What do you mean? You ever look through a kaleidoscope and you see all those colors morphing and changing and there's prisms and light and beads? Lots of color. That's happy. And is it moving the whole time? Like it's not blocked down into one thing or is it kind of still? Oh, it's moving. Okay. And so... Mostly when I'm feeling emotions... It comes to me in moving pattern. Okay. It's usually not static. You get your lips tight. What's going on? <laughs> I've just never talked about this publicly before. So. Yeah. Well, that's what we're doing, right? <laughs> um, when you're watching a show with us, like last night we were watching a show that was it's really good. What were we watching? Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency. Available now on Netflix. Um, (laughs) and we got lucky because the internet fell out which made us go to bed which is great it saved us it saved us actually you went to bed and i kept on editing but anyway when we were watching that sometimes it got violent you know there was a guy coming in with a armor and had bullets and it was really intense and in that it's graphic too you'll see someone get shot and someone get ripped in half by a shark it's pretty horrific stuff but you were watching it which is rare for you to watch things like that because What's going on for you when you see that? I was side-eyeing it. Violence has just always been, I've been always very sensitive to violence um, or visual imagery. It can stay in my brain for a very long time. The best way I can describe it, it gets stored kind of without words. Stored as the image or as as some other representation of what the image is, like the brown thing Um, or the kaleidoscope? More like shrieking pain or prophetic sadness or it's cold and spiky and it's heavy it's metal it's pokey it's cold and it it sits on my chest and I cannot breathe and those images don't go away for me as I imagine for other people they will be in my dreams they will be what I think of as I'm falling asleep they will jerk me from sleep the image of the violence from the show or the translation of that of, into other imagery in your mind or both? Both. It'll carry with it the metal heavy 
claustrophobic feeling. When I met you and you described this, when we used to you know, be friends to watching shows and you kind of described that, there was a teasing nature to all of this. There was a, ah, Maggie can't handle it. Uh, just relax. Kind all of, of thing. my life. All of your life. And I'm sorry. For I that. am. I am too sensitive. Or that's the, the feedback I've received all of my life. And I'm sorry for that and my participation in that. And at that time, if we got into the topic of it, if you really shared about it, you would describe um, a bit of a violent childhood as maybe the reason for that. Yeah, absolutely. There was there was a lot of violence in my home growing up. I think that that's been a place of mental gymnastics for me, because when you grow up in a home with unpredictable behavior and physical violence and emotional violence, it seems like the reasonable equation to say this is how I became too sensitive to violence. The feedback I've received for the entirety of my life about movies and you know, going to movies with friends or um, watching violence on television where I would just stand up and squirm and not be able to take that visual stimulus in was that I was too sensitive. And I think now as an adult, I don't think the two were as closely related as I presumed they were. As the narrative you told yourself for years. Or the narrative I listened to from other people. Right. I'll more say it's not what I told myself. I was very clear that I was incredibly uncomfortable and that there was nothing relaxing to me about watching someone get dismembered or shot. I remember when I was really little, you know, I would have dreams about being shot or dreams about being stabbed with a knife and it would be cold and hot and I would bleed out and it was a horrible, horrific scene and I wouldn't sleep for a week, you know, it, and I'm not kidding about that. Like I really wouldn't sleep. Yeah. Alien to aliens, aliens messed me up for a long time. <laughs> I would describe your watching shows like when we're all watching together and as a show that is captivating and isn't just an action film, action films, I think there's just too much of it. But on like the Dirk Gently, there's a great story. It's really interesting. It's complex. And a lot of gratuitous violence. So I noticed last night. I get up and clean. You, you get up and clean. Last night you were like sitting on a side couch. We have a couch that's like not in front of the TV that's really kind of far away. And you're kind of watching from the corner. Yeah. I was, Does that I, help? Was, I was giving the TV a side eye. <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't seen you do it that way before. I've done it that way before. I remember you used to put your hands in front of your face. Yeah. Or just close your eyes during those scenes. Sometimes. Yeah. But I like the idea of you being off on the side because the image itself was smaller on your on your field of view. Visuals less space. Yeah. Or you know, um what's that show Lost the Lost reboot of Lost in Space where the kids are always in dire peril. Right. <laughs> every episode. Um, every episode I would have to walk down the hall and sweep him up the floor. So I I use my nervous energy to clean. Do you do that in other parts of your life rather than just watching TV? Is there other nervous parts that do that? No. Yeah. No, I'll clean if, if I have an overwhelming sense of anxiety or feel like I'm spiraling. I notice you rarely sit down at parties. Yes. What do you do at parties? Cook, tidy, make sure people have things in their glass. Is that the same motivation, do you think? Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. I'm terribly uncomfortable at parties. So recently, someone we love and think about a lot, we started finding out about spectrum, autism spectrum. Is that the best way to talk about it? Autism spectrum? Well, ASD is autism spectrum disorder. Okay. So you started reading up on it. I did. And in doing this, what are you learning about yourself? That um, a lot of the attributes that are listed apply to me. Like the things we were just talking about? Like some of the things we are just talking about. But you and I have kind of, we've read little bits of it, and then you'll, you'll share something with me, like, you know, uh, intense scenes make you fidgety or whatever it is, some kind of well, little clip, and then you go, yeah, that's like that. That's like I, me. I would say more it has to do with the autism spectrum stuff. It has a lot more to do with my information processing, how I miss social cues my inability to self-regulate on a pretty regular basis. Self-regulate? It's, it's, it's how, I, how I have to manage the uncomfortable situation that everyone else can sit through comfortably and laugh even and enjoy on a level. I do not have the capacity to do that. Or I'm, I'd like to think at least in consumption of violence i'm wired appropriately (laughs) i don't know if we need to see people being vivisected all the time and think that that's something that should be watched a a relaxing and enjoyable evening at home well what's fascinating to me and i have to translate to try to understand how people are feeling what i really like to do is try to think of what it would how how would i get to the point where you get when you are social if someone came into the room and had a baseball bat and was smashing things around me, I would be doing the exact same thing you would be doing. I'd be getting away from it. I would want to avoid it. I would be looked down to not engage with it and start doing things. Like I would react the exact same way if I was getting the sensory input that you're getting. And you just get it differently than I get it. Well, right? I mean, if you're in person, I think you would react entirely differently. I think I would go into protect the kid attack mode. But well, If it wasn't alien in our environment, if it was a loved one that just got that way, sometimes we would react. I mean, yes, obviously. You mean like 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 dissociating? Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, exactly. I'm trying to get to the place of understanding what your experience is. And there are levels of intensity that would be upon me by my environment that would would I would act the same way. And if I watched a show and got the feeling of someone being you know in the room smacking around me and throwing things and like buildings falling down around me and i felt like my body's in danger the same emotional state that you get in i would be in yeah but it's it doesn't translate that way it translates into kind of um, violence gets translated into a, a kind of um compressive claustrophobia that is is um suffocating like like it's taking my breath away oh and so what's the cleaning or moving and doing stuff do um it releases the anxiety it it releases the compression okay i have a little bit of familiarity with anxiety because i I get it sometimes at at certain parts of parts of the day it releases the pressure do you know why um it channels it i don't know yeah so what do you think about talking about this publicly because your friends listening to this will be like what now Oh, that makes sense. I mean, of course. <laughs> they may or may not. Um, what's been hardest for me over time is when I'm having emotions, 
and it's all coming in in shapes and colors. And I'm trying to translate real time into English and articulate and translate what the feeling is. That's something that I think friends and people can relate to. Um, I don't, I haven't experienced life any other way, so I don't have other points of reference. Sorry, the question was... The question, I don't even know what the question was. I just kind of, oh, about being public about this label. Oh, well, um, I think right now we're having a really exciting time in history or time in our social development where diversity, and in this case, neurodiversity, is an important discussion. And I don't think not speaking, you know, not saying something or not adding whatever my experience is, my three cents to the conversation. It doesn't serve anybody to be silent. But I really appreciate this idea that this is, there's something not wrong with me. I was told most of my life that there was something wrong with me, that I felt too deeply or I... uh, Get over it. Get over it. There was a lot of get over it. You're too sensitive. There were times in crowds, oh God, in department stores, where it literally felt physically pokey to be in that space. Just cacophonous. Malls are cacophonous places. I always thought that you and I didn't like malls for the same reason. And I don't think it is. I don't get overwhelmed in a mall, even with lots of people. I mean, sometimes the people I get overwhelmed. But for me, it's just the banality of it. Just this... this religious well, cultist to crap. Sure. But no. you're having a different feeling too. Yeah, no, sometimes it's actually a visceral reaction to the space and the number of people and the number of lights and the number of objects. And definitely intellectually, I can definitely join you in the banality of... Of consumerism. Well, but it, I mean, it happens in Costco sometimes and it's, it's really hard because things are stacked so high. You were talking about visceral, like your, your, your skin feels it, like you're almost, it's almost past the intellectual and into the body yes. experience. I would call it a somatic reaction. <laughs> oh, what does somatic mean? Um, just in the body. Oh, okay. A... Yeah. I just, I feel like if the thing that's so wonderful about thinking about diversity as a important trait of human social structures, it's really wonderful i start going i'm so excited about it when i find out that someone thinks a different way than i do i'm like okay this means that together we are greater just by definition we have a different perception of the world together and that kind of gets me excited about the possibility of people benefiting from each other yeah or just there are different programs that will run different subroutines that will turn out a new set of data and if you combine your set of data with my set of data we are better prepared to meet the you laugh while you can, well, monkey I'm boy. Kind of like maybe we're better prepared if we can align well, together. If we can align together. <laughs> yeah. When I was 14 years old, I was enrolled in what is now the AP programs in the high schools. But they were just designing it and they were testing new books. And this was through a program that was going through the education program at UC Berkeley. Our, our high school was a pilot high school. 
And so every six weeks we would get new textbooks and learning methods and then they would test us on how it would go, right? Like, so how was learning the information this way? How was the learning the information that way? You did questionnaires after certain periods and stuff? Yeah, and, and they would have they would have people that would come interview us and stuff like that. But through that program and through the tutors that were involved, it was pretty apparent that there was some sort of learning difficulty that I was negotiating. And I went to see some experts up at uh, UC Davis. At the time, I mean, what we're talking about, 1981 or two, I guess, girls, dyslexia. My mom pulled me out of public school when I was in fourth grade because they figured out that I wasn't actually reading, that I had memorized the shapes of words. And I had. Nobody knew what to do with me. And the principal said to my mom, well, she's just such a delightful child. She'll make somebody a great wife someday. And to my mother's credit, I was in public school for about three minutes more. He pulled you out and put me in a Montessori school, which was great because it was all tactile learning. Yeah. And by the time, you know, two years later, when I left the Montessori system, went back to public school, I was doing high school math. I still was reading at a third grade level. I was doing high school math and nobody knew what to do with me. <laughs> yeah. I want to explore a little bit more how to understand the different experiences of different people. So I'm going to share with you what it's like for me to watch a violent thing. Okay. So there are jump scares. Jump scares are jump scares. Like that, obviously, I jump. You always get startled. And that's, you know, the cat run. The scary music's playing and the cat jumps off the shelf, right? And everybody goes, <gasps> you know. Right. I personally don't like that feeling. I don't, I don't find joy in it. I don't know why people do that. I think as a younger person I did, but once I had kids, horror movies and scary movies like that, just I have no interest in them. But in an action movie and like the superhero movies, stuff's happening everywhere. There's no rare blood. Are you okay with the action movies, the superhero movies because there's no blood or is it still too much? It's still too much, but that that has to do with the combination also about the scale of violence, the the scale of it's so exaggerated. The music is so intense. You know, they're they're definitely messing with the bass tones to tweak how your emotional responses to the situation. You know, when you see I'm trying I don't know what it's like for you, but, you know, when there was those scenes and there's like the couple's been away from each other for a long time and then they see each other and they realize they love each other and the music goes bum, 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 and it gets rises up and the two of them run together and you're so full of like yay this is happening you know that silly thing that films can do that's what it kind of feels like when i'm watching an action film it's like this oh is this so exciting this is happening and wow really and, yeah and when they like wait this is the, your response is this is so exciting this is happening because because you're seeing it happen because they can do these amazing things and they're achieving their goals or there's a conflict they're going to overcome. All of that is what I'm thinking about in the battle. Like, let's say, you know, the Hulk throws something and someone jumps out of the way and you're like, oh, God, oh wow, that was really intense. The Hulk's really strong. And then the person jumped out of the way is OK. OK, thank goodness. What are they going to do? And there, you can see them kind of thinking a bit. And the idea that the fight is happening in a fake physics kind of world is interesting to me. I'm thinking about that a bit. Um, Oh, the fakes physics. I can go down that rabbit hole. But it definitely is emotionally exciting, like that scene I just described with the lovers running up to each other after a long time. Wow. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, no, I'm not excited. So it doesn't do to anything to me about anxiety. There's no anxiety. In fact, there's the only time there's really anxiety in films like that is when it's clear that a character is in harm 
and we might lose that character. And that is about the loss of the narrative, that character. Like we were watching a show and as soon as, you know, um, one of the characters died, I realized, oh my gosh, this series, some other people could die. I don't want you know, and then I get attached to that because I want to watch that character more, but I don't have fear. And I'm not like, I did get a little sad. I think I don't, we won't talk about who uh, gets hurt in that show. Cause I don't want to spoil anything from anybody, but that kind of, you know, that got me sad. I can get sad pretty easily, but not anxiety from films most of the time. Yeah. My zero to 60 anxiety experience is pretty fast, particularly with most modern productions. It starts with the score. Like the music is going to, is telling me that it gets you bit ready. Like, Oh God, here it comes, you okay. know, which is cool. Yeah. I won't invest time in watching something super, super violent unless there is a story or, um, yeah, a story or a mythos that I, I feel like it's worth it to endure the physical awfulness yeah. to enjoy the story. But do I enjoy it? So I won't watch the violent stuff because it, it, there's nothing relaxing about yeah. it. And for me, it is relaxing in some ways. I don't know. How do you relax? How do you relax when people are being vivisected and shot and well, you know how do i not notice the sweater on the floor i mean we just have different experiences of the world like our perception is amplifying and enhancing and reducing things for us and we don't control what those things are we can get tricked by magicians we're well not i mean real. we've talked about it yeah. but you know that that mess has noise for me right that's why I kind that of i can it, yeah. hear it and it's it's you know eventually it's so loud i i just can't live with it hence why I'm cleaning all the time because I do get that a little bit. So earlier today I came back cause I worked at the office today. Maybe it was last night and I came in here to edit or something. We're, we're in my office, which has, it's a relatively small room, but it's not a closet. It's a little bit bigger than a closet and it's got curtains around because we're podcasting in it. And thank you very much for the curtains, Maggie. And it's got a lot of stuff yes. and the stuff crawls closer to me. <laughs> as, as I work. Yeah. And the other day, like yesterday, maybe I turned and bumped into something and I kicked something with my foot and I felt I had that kind of anxiety, like trappedness. Uh, I guess that's kind of what you're talking about. Yeah, right? yeah. that's definitely what I'm talking about. But you can do you, that can happen to you from music and uh, visuals. Yes, most definitely visuals. For me, it's almost always a physical environment thing. It's like the desk in the ROR. The room of requirement is our art studio space. Where I have a blank wall in front of me and basically on the side of me. And I've, I'm kind of got, you know, a safe, non-cluttered, not a whole lot of decoration either corner where I can reduce the stimulus, put the headphones on and get to work. Or do art. Or do art or focus. Yeah, focus. So anyway, that happened to me. And then when, I, when you were going to come in tonight, I need to clean up. And as I cleaned it up, I felt my body feel better because there was more space. Like you could actually push your chair back and that just I like, can't. oh, I felt so much better. <laughs> so it's not like I don't see it completely. I do, but it's just not as powerful. Loud. It's not as loud. Yeah. I don't think you hear it or feel it like I do. Yeah, I wouldn't say there's any kind of visual or, uh, or sound to it. To me, you know, I don't have a big uh, visual mind's eye. For me, it, it's much more about my body feeling uh, constricted, tense or tight, or something that 
Yeah. And I've described it to you. Like sometimes I get that way. My body feels like it's, there's something wrong with it. I can't really describe what it is because it doesn't, we don't have a lot of words for how our bodies feel. So that's where my anxiety shows up. But for you, it's visual and auditorial and, and body. Yeah. I mean, eventually it will, I will have sensation in my body. You know, saying anxiety though, sounds like our culture makes anxiety be a weak term that people have. Like weak people have anxiety. Doesn't that feel that way? Yeah, absolutely. It's ridiculous (laughs) that we do that. I think so. But I mean, there's also really amazing gifts that come with it too. Like a spring day where the air is the same temperature as like your skin and you can feel it whispering to your skin. I think I feel that differently than other people. Mm-hmm. And that's really cool because it's like air molecules dancing for me. Like, you know, it's, it's somewhere around, I would guess 77 degrees, <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's a gentle breeze. I had to train myself to enjoy mm-hmm. spring days. It was a process of training and it came through photography. I first see the light and then I can start feeling it and experience it. But it's like a a meditation I have to put myself in to notice it. I have to get myself to notice it. Wow. But you just notice it. Um, it, Yeah, it talks to me. Yeah, it's so great. It's so great how different people are. I don't know. I thought this was a good thing for us to talk about because we do talk about this stuff every once in a while. Well, I mean, it it becomes apparent in our conversations when I can't find words. Right. And I'll say, well, what are you thinking? And you'll say, blue. (laughs) Well, I don't even say blue. I I do not have words. I cannot find them. The language is gone. I look at you and I'm just, you know, gobsmacked and slack jawed. You know, the words are not there. And, you know, it's more than I get that it's more than being you know, gobsmacked and it's different than being overwhelmed. It's like a freight train of visual images, colors, feelings. And it's like at freight train speed. And you're now asking me to somehow speak English in that cognitive brainstorm soup. I so often do not have words I think what I've appreciated in our relationship is I just can say to you, there are no words right now, right. but it's taken me, you know, 55 years to, well, I'm going to say 52 years because I didn't speak for the first three years of my life. <laughs> You've been saying there's no words though, for at least six years of our relationship. It's been a long time that you're yeah. like, but it's not always something you can say even. So sometimes I just have to into it. Oh, you need some space, which is the way I think of it. It's not, yeah, I mean, it, it. you have to let everything kind of shake down into columns, sort everything out so you can separate the colors and shapes and come to a conclusion of what you're feeling. Well, and then translate it to English and also have uh, a moment or four to figure out what that actually means to me and formulate some ideas about. How do I want to react in this situation? You know, what's the response? What is my truth? Yeah. What, what is the accurate response? I said, give you space because that's the action I do to, for myself. I realize, oh, Maggie needs to 
work on trans like she might say to me something to me sometime when she's ready to do that so what i need to do is stop pestering her with questions so i need to give you space yeah because of course the, i can't stop talking yeah i just i need <laughs> i need less data please i'm at you know my cash is full so <laughs> when you interact with people and they operate different than you operate start with curiosity that's my advice and start with curiosity as long as it's not all of a sudden, you're bombarded in a babastic overflood. Curiosity doesn't have to translate into asking questions. Curiosity can just be like, oh, wait, What's there's happening? something here that I don't understand. Instead of being frustrated with it or being you know, angry at the other person, you just go, oh, there's probably a difference of perception here. And what's my perception? Express that to them. You know, like, and I'm talking about when you're close with people. You can't do this with everybody you meet. I think we should understand more in our society that when someone says, yeah, I don't want to go see that action film, passing him to see it is not the right response. Because <laughs> I think I've passed you to see action films before, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, especially before we're together. I mean, y'all have given me super hard times about yeah. not being able to hack it. And you get where that comes from, right? Uh, no, I, I don't understand your all's appetite for this kind of stimulus. Right. But... Do you like a romantic movie where at the end the couple gets together and there's like the swell and they a little bit sappy? If I know it's, it's a bad example. Well, <laughs> you like the romantic comedy. I sometimes don't have patience for it. Well, what do you like? What's what's the thing that you're like? You got to see this film. What's that? What's that thing for you that you tell? What's people? that thing for me? Yeah, yeah. Nobody starts here, but really good costuming. And no, that's great. That's that's perfect. That's a perfect thing, right? So <laughs> the only reason I see costuming partially because I grew up in theater and it, I think about the complexity of trying to produce a production like that. That's really interesting to me. And I've done a little sewing, but I look at costume now because you talk about costuming. You have this love of costuming and then you show me seams and you show me what you're building. And so now I have a little bit more awareness of costuming so I can appreciate it. Right. But I don't have patience to sit through a sappy or unwell thought plot line or, yeah, no, I want something that's Interesting. I enjoy a good mystery. Um, like the Franny Fisher mysteries were awesome because they weren't always, who, you know, who what done it. Yeah. Like Franny totally, Fisher. It's an Australian show. It's yeah. The, the equivalent of the BBC in Australia. Try to find it. It's fun. It, it ends fun. too soon. It ends too soon. So that the mystery thing, I think you do like mysteries. I like mysteries. I, I love good science fiction. And that's what's so hard with science fiction now is that it has to be huge and loud and explosive. And some of that is definitely plot driven. And I, you know, I like the complex scientific black hole problem. Yeah. So but what is it that you enjoy about those? Because some people can't stand that kind of content. What is it that what do you feel like when you're watching something that has interesting science in it, for example, or interesting costumes. I think it's more about complex problems that need to be solved cleverly. And you see people being clever and you like that. Yeah, I do. You like clever people? I like clever people. Oh, I'm a keeper. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess what I'm asking that is I'm trying to show you the metaphor of what it feels like for me to watch an action film, right? So you understand that it's, I don't like the overwhelming anxiety, cacophony and free and feeling of being trapped but I don't have that feeling when watching those. So you're going. That's amazing. Right, so you're thinking that he likes feeling this way. I don't feel that way. <laughs> so that's the thing that's so hard for us to explain what we like. Right. 
That is. Well, how do you feel in Costco? Um, I, <laughs> what I feel in Costco, I mean, you know, you're, you're trying to avoid, I mean, right, wait, COVID or pre-COVID? <laughs> <laughs> Pre-COVID, how I felt in Costco, I was always looking for the snacks to grab. Like, what are they going to have out? Some cheese? I know. I'm thinking about shopping. I'm thinking about the stuff. And I'm thinking about what, how do they decide to price it this way? Where is this getting sourced from? Culturally, culturally, like, obviously this was such a better way for people to buy things in some way than having small shops. And I love small shops. And the sadness of that, of me choosing to get the, how much is a, a, a half gallon of cream there? $11. $11 half gallon of cream at Costco versus a $9 quart? No, No, pint. no. Pint is about four fifty. Or, at, we're talking or, about organic. organic. Yeah, both of them organic in both those places. Yeah, so it's like eleven fifty for a half gallon, or four fifty for, yeah, you know, yeah, a pint. Yeah, so it's like that. I made those choices. Everybody made those choices, and now we have this thing that we go to, and that to me is sad from a cultural perspective. It's sad from a small shop perspective. Is it fun for you to be there? Yes. So for me, I mean, it's fun. For it's, me, it's shopping. Yes. It's okay. What's my route? How can I get in and out of here fast and efficient? It's a game. You have oh, to make it a game. I have to make it a game. Why does a game help you get through it? Um, because there are endpoints and goals, and the reward is dopamine, and, and the and the reward <laughs> is getting the blank out of there. <laughs> That's great. I mean, the reward is definitely getting out of there. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think we have. I mean, we probably have different visual experiences to Costco, but. Going in and getting out, I think is top of mind for both of us. <laughs> Just like the mall, if we go to the mall. Okay, so I want to talk about something else that I'm thinking about. And I think I have enough context to make up my idea on the spot, which is how I actually think of things. I just talk them out. So I've never said this out, nor written this out. I just kind of thought about it. I think that as we get better with understanding the perceptions of people when they're watching content, I think we'll start allowing people to choose the level of some parts of the content. So I can imagine you watching the next Marvel movie with a setting that is something that describes low intensity action. Okay. And what that would do is reduce the volume of the scenes, cut the scenes down to less, more abstract, um, probably have all the same dialogue and allow you to watch quote the same film as somebody else that's probably pretty possible to do even now but i can think of the hack day project does that fulfill the artistic vision of the writer and director it's exactly where i wanted to go with this top this topic it only does if the writer and director start understanding that when you take a film and you make it a certain intensity level you are making a film for only people that like that kind of intensity level and you are missing part of the audience and if you want to have an experience where lots of people can enjoy it, you could either try to modify it slightly and modify the content, or you could try to build it in to film it in multiple ways so that you have variants of the story for different people. Choose your own adventure. Well, it's kind of like the branching narrative stuff, but I am thinking much more of. Well, it, no, I get I get logistically what you're talking about. You're talking about lower intensity music track. That there are enough angles that are shot where you don't necessarily have to, you know, experience the impact or the the actual vivisection of somebody. It's alluded to and the the point has been made. Or you see it from much farther away. 
so that you're not feeling like it's surrounding you. For the people that like to be surrounded in it, they're in the close-up shots. For the people that want to be like experience it from afar so they don't get viscerally overwhelmed, then you have a show. So yeah, basically you're making multi- variances of the content. That's really interesting because I really don't, I just spent a week being sick, not COVID. Um, <laughs> we're going to get to that. What you were, what sick was? I sat on my butt and I watched a fair amount of TV to distract how uncomfortable I physically was. And, um, you know, I think it comes down to choice. Like, I don't think I was going to relax to, you know, a Marvel movie marathon. I did watch uh, Wheel of Time. There's a fair amount of violence. You know, I was able to deploy some of my coping mechanisms, like ignore the TV. Yeah. I think the reason why I'm thinking about this is that there's this perception that there's different types of genre of film and people like different genres. But when you really look at how like um, Netflix's algorithmic system of recommendations actually works, there's not really any genres. Those are those are fictitious. And, and you can think of that because if you take any film, you can put it in a couple of genres if you want. You can put romantic comedies in sci-fi if there's some sci-fi in it. You can, you know, they, they all cross. Art is complex. Categorization is ridiculous. So if that's the case, if you're drawn or put yourself in a certain genre types, it's probably because of the experience you're having in watching it, matching with what is enjoyable for you. Well, or you can just experience it in a different platform. I mean, reading sci-fi is a very different experience than consuming it on a screen. I am just excited by the idea of personalizing artistic creations I, I i find the idea really interesting i don't it would be a lot harder to make these pieces but it'd be really interesting to have a film that worked for everyone because there was 70 variances of it anyway i want to talk about your health are you okay with that sure <laughs> what is celiac disease maggie uh it's a genetic disorder whereby you have an inflammatory reaction in your small intestine to the glutinous aspects of wheat and various grains. And gluten is a description of a type of molecule made by grain cereals and things. And it is sticky, and that's what makes bread kind of have that uh, rippy quality to it. Yeah, Kind of, yeah. It's what makes bread delicious. It's what makes bread delicious. And you have celiac disease. And what this means is that when your body senses gluten molecules, what happens? What does your body do? My body has an extreme immune response. And essentially, it, it kind of starts attacking my small intestine. It, it starts damaging. There's a process of where... The villi get just damaged over time and then, you know, basically small sores or pockets of infection, lesions open up and infection forms. The cilia are the small hairs in the digestive system that move the food forward and also do those things, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so effectively, if you eat any form of gluten and your immune system detects it, it will produce an immune reaction like uh, when you get the cold or coronavirus and your immune system detects it and says, oh, I got to make antibodies for it. It's making antibodies to break down the gluten molecule 
and then that same antibody attacks your system. At least that's the, my understanding of it. Yeah, that that's part of it. I mean, there's some really intricate things like the way that your body really reads the gluten compound and how the natural aspects of your thyroid gland are conducted, that there there are elements that are so similar that your immune system can start attaching attacking your own thyroid gland because, as well as, as well Vila, yeah. because it's reading very similarly IgG footprint if you will right. is is so similar that it can actually start attacking everything <laughs> as we've learned this and we've tried to, to explain to people no gluten in the house until I told I think I told my mother and my sister look it's an autoimmune disease very little bit of it causes problems. Most of the time you think of like, well, you know, I get an itchy sensation when I eat citrus or, you know, I can't, I can't eat. Gwen has problems with kiwi if she eats too much of it. This is a, you get a lot of it and it becomes a problem. That's not the same as gluten. It's, it's, yeah. And it's, it's different with the autoimmune. When, when your autoimmune system kind of goes on hyperdrive, it's like it's always on high alert. And when you spend the years consuming it, your body starts to function at a high alert status. And what finally happens is that, you know, your, your body starts to break down. Um, and then what happens is sort of a reversal, which is, you know, just the smallest amount can make you really, really sick. So I think that's the most confusing part of all of this is that, you know, you could be a person that can be eating this for a while. I was pretty clear by the time I was about 28 that I felt like. Felt bad after eating. Uh, awful. Yeah. And I just, I just stopped eating wheat. I just stopped entirely. And you'd and, have it every once in a while when there's a like, tempting yeah, piece of cake. Yeah. So it'd be like, you know, birthday cakes or you'd be traveling or, oh my God, you know. A little bread. little piece of bread. <laughs> um, but there was enough time in between. You know, I'd ha- it, it, it it was more like this. This doesn't agree with me. I know it doesn't agree with me. I know I will pay for it later. Stop becoming worth it over and over again. Yeah. 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 I mean, I would start having cramps in my, you know, my hands and feet would have cramps. Um, of course. When your body does an autoimmune response to things like that, all it, your joints swell up. Every, anything that my could joints, be problematic become problematic. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of, you know, a, a blanket of high, a high immune alert. Yeah. And it's just attacking everything. And this is just one part of what happens when your gut gets screwed up. And we're not going to get into all of that because I feel like... Thank you. You deal with this enough. But just to, just to say that as your body... As your gut has problems, you get a problem where food particles can go into your bloodstream. Right. And when that happens, anything you've eaten, your di- your, audit, your immune system has to get rid of it in the blood or your kidney. Acid. Like it becomes problematic everywhere. So pretty soon you start just picking up aller- allergic reactions to lots of things. Anything you eat effectively, you'll get a reaction to eventually. I've been in that place. So I think the biggest thing that we figured out at one point is that pepper, which you used to eat pepper a lot. So much. You couldn't eat pepper anymore. Well, that's that's kind of interesting is that you can get something like that where you're having a histamine response 
and your body is keeping kind of a baseline of, oh my God, I have to manage the amount of pepper that's coming into the system. So it's always keeping kind of a base, high baseline of, you know, response, his response histamine. And then you, you know, don't have it. And there's all this extra histamine floating around. And so what do you crave? Well, the pepper. Because no way. It's, really? it acts like a re- it's oh my God. it's the it's the thing that will quickly balance out the system and put it back to homeostasis because there'll be enough pepper to work on. <laughs> so that was happening with sugar, too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know all the intimacies about how sugar works in the body, but it, I, I feel like it's it's kind of the same thing. And I, my body definitely has a complicated relationship with sugar as well and the reason one of the reasons why i don't want to go too deep into this is that we're at the boundary of science people we just don't know enough about the gut i mean we know a lot about the gut we know a lot about gut. i mean i would say since i first got sick and it was winter of 2015 when you got like you couldn't keep weight you kept you were getting really really skinny it was scary yeah it it got scary and pain and and and, you know that was a scary year that was a scary year because I lost a ton of weight. I was sick all the time. I couldn't keep food down. Yeah, that was. And so when you learn at that time? Well, that that's when we started having all the tests. And that's when we, you know, started going to the very limited diet and a lot of supplements. And, and a lot of doctors saying it's just in my head. And um, this is just something that happens to women. That response was, was so aggravating. I took you on that that doc, to see that doctor because I yeah. I kept on telling you I, I'm trying to glean as much medical knowledge, but the misogyny in this individual is so gobsmacking, <laughs> unbelievable <laughs> that I have to bring you with me. I and, don't remember the exact words, but. We were, he's an expert in the gut, right? We visit him what, and he basically says... Best he, in the business. And he basically says, normality is male and that's why there's a problem. Yes, like it, it, I can't remember the phrasing, but it was that. And well, I, like my you're, jaw, a woman, my you're a dropped. woman who's had children and, um, you know, this is just the way it is because you're... It wasn't even that polite. No, it wasn't. <laughs> it was like dismissive, like, oh, because you're a woman that has had children then this is not normal or something or you're like you're an anomaly or something just just no that's insane that, well that that this just happens to some women and there was no explanation for why or yeah. what and i know that we don't know an awful lot but i think in in the years that i've been kind of managing this process of my body our understanding of how the gut is a lot like the brain and um you know, it uses more serotonin than our brains. Um, the all the kinds microbiome of is a is a uh, living, it, thinking, yeah, breathing, it's a symbiotic beast. relationship. You need it. All yeah, that stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I we're learning new things every day. Um, I I have to say that dealing with medical professionals has been really, really hard. That's the hardest part. Is is finding good people. Finding good people, finding smart people, finding people who are willing to um, spend time on the complexity, spend time on the complexity. And
and not be dismissive if I had to hear another, you know, this is all in your head. And of course, they don't say that. They dance around it. Yeah, I don't know. I've been. Maybe we'll say it. Yeah. You know, if you could just work on your stress management and I would just look at them and go, I mean, they're right to an extent in, in many respects. I, I'm wired maybe on a little bit on the intense spectrum, but I also have, you know, a high level of, I expect a lot for myself. I expect a lot. I, I, I choose to pursue my passions and, and try to live my life with a degree of excellence. And I can be hard on myself, but there's a degree of that. And I do definitely agree that that contributes to illness. But when a system broke and you don't understand the science about it, don't blame the patient. You know, nobody goes to a doctor to because they're feeling super well (laughs) or at least i don't like i have to be like i almost went to the doctor last week because i i was in danger of dehydration and no you were you were keeping water down but it was i was checking the water levels you were drinking yeah yes it was dangerous so a, a while ago well last week you started just having severe nausea Severe nausea and other things. We won't other get into the detail on the radio, but digestive tract and nausea. And it was severe. It came on quickly. And, you know, to be clear, and friends of us will probably know this, we're relatively careful with your diet. Very careful. There's no gluten in the house, obviously. Especially the last six months. Yes. And also there's no, like when we go to friends, which doesn't happen very often, you basically don't eat anybody else's food. Basically, everything that you eat comes out of the kitchen. Yeah. And you make. And, you know, Unless 2%, I could, 2% I don't I'm, get. I'm pretty, pretty damn sure that it came from a safe place. Right. But that's not normal for us, for you to do, because it's too risky and there's mistakes happen sometimes. Sometimes. Yeah. So that means making every single meal. And the meals, there's probably, there's literally under 20 ingredients that you eat. Would you say? I would say there's a bit more. I would say there's like 35 right now. Well, that's that are, that yeah. is that that, that sounds I like mean, a if lot you want to if you want to choose like, you know, include like rosemary and oregano sure. and and salt as an ingredient. Let, let me just give like a little rundown for people on what Maggie does not eat. No grains of any sort, including rice. No nuts of any sort. No fruit of any sort. No seeds. No seeds of any sort. No dairy products at all. No cheeses, no eggs. Actually, eggs you can do sometimes. I have to yep. we slowly pace myself. in eggs a little bit. So this means a lot of meats, a lot of greens, mostly all cooked, uh, a lot of bone broth, um, and some spices and, and such. Green beans, you know, vegetables that, of that nature. Low FODMAP vegetables. Low FODMAP. FODMAP's a style of... You, you want to describe what that is? Oh, God, it's That's, complicated. You don't have to. It's I don't okay. have to get it. Yeah. But, there are groups of vegetables that are hard to, harder to digest. And right now, at least right now, I can't do those because I have essentially a bacterial infection in my right. gut. So no tomatoes, no broccoli, no 
asparagus, no, no Brussels sprouts, no cabbage, no Brussels sprouts, no onions. Yeah. So now, you know, go ahead and make a meal. It's very, very hard. And so then the doc says, why don't be stressed? Fuck you. Right. No, I mean, it does challenge you to have to cook an awful lot. And, and, you know, I spent 19 years as a vegetarian. And now you're a meat eater. And now I'm such a carnivore. Yeah. It's really rather wild. You did 19 years? I think I only did 17 years. I did 19 years. It was from when I was 18 till I was pregnant with River. Oh, well, then I must have been less for me. So I must have been like 14 years for me. Yeah. Um, any case, do you remember how, were you a cocky vegetarian? Were you like, this is the right way? People are stupid? No, no. no. I mean, first I was a poverty, poverty vegetarian. Meat's I, I, I mean, <laughs> meat was really expensive. Tofu was not. I mean, I was living in the city and I was going to college and I had, you know, no money. The package of tofu was 99 cents and, you know, meat was three or four dollars a pound. It just started Made to sense. make sense. So it's a genetic disorder. Are there markers for it? Can you detect it? There in are genome? some markers for it. You can you can find genetic markers. You can also find a different genetic marker for gluten sensitivity. There are four or five of those. And, you know, here we're going to dance with epigenetics here is that, you know, just because you have the marker, it may not be manifesting in your gut you can not have any of the markers and be gluten sensitive. You know, it cannot agree with you or, you know, let's say you've been allergic to dairy all your life and you keep on eating dairy and then that damages the colon enough that, yeah, or the intestines enough that you, you know, all of a sudden become sensitive to wheat too. The, the uh, lesson from this for yourself is if you, get bad digestion from foods don't ignore that pay attention (laughs) to that because it can get worse yeah and the thing about celiac disease which is such a friggin' trip to me is that you basically have to be in a failure state for you to detect the cilia being damaged you already have to be so sick that you get a diagnosis because if you're kind of sick from it if you have the markers and all that and you've healed a bit the cilia are there and therefore the way they test it is they give you a whole bunch of gluten until it destroys your cilia and then they say oh yeah the cilia destroyed you have gluten uh, you have uh, celiacs. Is that is that a good description of it? That's a good description of it. That's shocking. Yeah. It's like ingest your poison until you're damaged so we can look and see that you're damaged so that we can say, yes, you're sick. You know, I want to instead s- of instead of if you eat this, do you feel well? What happens when you eat this? What happens when it leaves your diet? Um, how long does it take you to clear? I can tell you that. If I eat grain, you know, I could do it maybe for a week. And I'm talking about like non-glutinous grain, like, like rice brown rice or something. But in a matter of two to three weeks, I will start, my joints will visibly swell and I will start having mobility issues. Yeah. It just, I, my, my body don't want it. Yeah. So, um. The other thing I want to say here is that we're not medical experts on this. We're not doctors or anything like that. We're just going through this experience. Maggie's learning a lot about it. And um, it's a tricky topic. 
It's it's really tricky. It's really tricky. But the reason why I want to talk about it is that a lot of our friends and family are listening to this podcast series. And this is a great introduction to why is it that Maggie and Lyle are so careful about Maggie's diet? Well, it's because it's really easy for it to be screwed up and it takes days. So recently you were nauseous and it was getting to the point. It was like, I think I need to take you to the doctors tomorrow. It's about day six. But the thing that's so frustrating that is that what does that even mean to go to the doctor about it? Will we get any kind of success in that situation? I don't think so. Right. But it was, you know, I would go in and they would treat me for dehydration and and send me on my way. That's what we're doing before in 2015. So. I thought in the middle at some point in there, I was like, I wonder if Maggie's eating something she doesn't know she's eating. Because, of course, we've been careful with all the diet. So but this kind of thing could happen if you went to a restaurant or something. But this was like right. multiple days of it. Normally, that kind of thing happens once and you're fine in a couple of days. So I had that passing thought and didn't act on it because Lyle was overworked on this podcast. <laughs> Sorry, Maggie. And then you had a catharsis one morning. Well, I did because I realized that two days before I started to feel really awful. I opened a new bottle of digestive enzymes by a, by a brand that i trusted you had a, you had a bottle from a brand that looked exactly the same you finished that bottle you opened a new bottle with the same everything on it almost we'll find out what it almost. was in a second and you started taking those so one day at day six or seven you woke up and was like wait a second i did open a new bottle well no i i i stripped down to the fact that i was only taking all the only supplement i was continuing to take while I was being so sick was the digestive enzymes because you dropped I, everything else because I dropped of everything nausea. else because of the nausea and we're talking about like magnesium and iron like this things that you kind of need well, because not you're, iron but iron. magnesium and a couple of other things not not a whole lot fish oil right stuff like that and um I had stripped down to just bone broth because that's always a safe square one and this particular thing. And I finally just said, <sighs> I looked and I read the bottle and you compared used the bottles. To, it, I compared the bottles and it used to say manufactured without wheat, gluten, soy. It was like blah, one blah, line blah. that said uh, manu- manufactured facility that has no gluten. Something like that. No, manufactured without is, manufactured is, without is how gluten. this manufacturer. And that. And, the, and it had a lot of other stuff, a whole bunch of paragraphs whole of it. A whole bunch of that. Lactose, the all, all other, the things. And the other bottle? It started with soy. It skipped wheat, gluten. It skipped wheat and gluten, which used to be the first two things that... But other than that, the bottles were exactly the same. Exactly the same. So you went, you told, came and told me, and both of us had a lot of hope and a little bit less stress for a moment. And then I went and talked to the folks at the vitamin store and I went on the manufacturer's website and sure enough, this product no longer was on their gluten-free list. And that could because they actually had gluten in it? Something in the manufacturing process. It could even be the the capsules that... The capsules themselves. Yeah. This is the thing about gluten that's so annoying. <laughs> is that it's because, this additive I mean, for everything. Your spices, like your granulated spices. Your teas. Your teas. Once you are a celiac, you start looking at it. It's shocking how much stuff has it. Oh, shampoos. Shampoo. Yeah. Soaps. Like, do you remember like we we're like a year and a half in and I couldn't figure out why I still had rashes. Right. Like, wh- where is it coming from? And then like 
my doctor said, well, have you checked all your skincare? It's like a sunscreen, right? No, it was like my shampoos and yeah. my lotion and it was everywhere. So I had to swap all that out. And miraculously, a, it got better really fast. Just because remember, it's, it's, it's in a, you know, histamine response. It's a, a little bit of this stuff will actually cause a whole reaction. Yeah. It's not like traditional stuff. Your, your immune system is the thing that's actually causing the damage and it gets triggered by small amounts. So you stop taking this potentially, this probably gluten thing. Yep. And? Take me about a day and a half to feel kind of better. And then it's gotten better ever since. Every day a little bit better. Every day a little bit better. Less nausea, less uh, pain in your bone, in your joints. And that's just like. Less time in the bathroom. A pill a day. No, no. It was, it was every time I eat. I oh, would, a, a few pills. Every okay. time I was trying to eat. Ones, right? Yeah. So every time I was eating. <laughs> You're nauseous and every time you're eating, you're making yourself nauseous. You know, and I'm like, I got to choke down some food here. I've got to get something in my body. I'm just, we're really lucky that you have this and we have enough money to kind of compensate for it because finding the conditioner that doesn't have gluten in it is a specialty, Adam. Yeah. And I can't imagine, I mean, I can what, how limited my life would be. I mean, there would be there mobility issues right well there is i mean travel is very hard travel is hard going to people's houses for dinner is hard it's hard it's socially hard and if you want to make it easier by the way and you're friends with us don't talk to maggie about diet <laughs> <laughs> right you know well or it's just hard. It. <laughs> it's, it's it's kind of like yeah you you don't want to talk about your illness so, i mean i i i will talk about it's, We're obviously talking about it, but, but inviting us to dinner and saying, what can I make for Maggie is not really it. I mean, I get it. Jen, I talked to Jen about this afterwards, after uh, doing the interview with her, Jennifer, who's the last episode. And, uh, we, you know, people want to give gifts, especially for you, because oh, you give, for, you give to everybody. You're always hosting. You're always taking care of people. You remember everybody's birthdays. You send them gifts. You make them special uh, occasions. You cook for anybody and you remember everybody else's diets and what they like you know all the friends that are vegetarians you know about other dietary concerns and you take care of it so you are modeling this thing that other people want to do for you and i think that's why it's so hard yeah but it's just too easy to i cannot expect anybody to to and it's too long of a list to share and even if we had a really easy list and gave really clear directions and blah 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 it's still really hard to understand that when you're in the kitchen. It's like you have to have like most people that cook have a way about doing things. You grab the olive oil or the butter or the bacon fat, whatever you normally use. You just grab it. You don't even think of that as an ingredient because that's what you use for grease. So there's some innate qualities that you have to be very careful. But more than that, and I think the one that's really tricky to understand is that if Maggie eats somewhere else over the next four days, she has to wonder if anything happens. Was it that? It's the removal of the unknown that allows a level of stability, which is safe. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Or keeping it really, really simple creates, you know, um, I it takes so much time to do all the cooking. You you do you learn tricks. You batch cook. You we regularly have a very large pot making bone broth. Yeah. For days. Yeah. For that's days. A standard thing. 
a standard thing, but you lots know, of soups. lots of soup, soup, good soup, good soup. But it's also a drag. I, I, I get that it's a drag for my family and I get that it's a drag. It's not a drag. Well, it is because of this, restaurants and stuff. This is the other thing that's so amazing about Maggie is that <laughs> she makes cake for everybody all the time. You've been making fire cake since Rivers. We figured out it was Rivers fifth or no, Rivers sixth. It was her fifth birthday. Fifth we came birthday. up with it. We came up with a cake, which is called fire cake. And it's a chocolate uh, chipotle. chipotle powdered cake with a chocolate creaming filling in a white, uh, just delicious. So good. And it's gluten free and it's, you dairy. can't, you can't make now, it dairy free. I don't now make it dairy free. And so there be, lots of people can eat it. It's very, very good. But when was the last time you had, ate this cake? Oh God. And keep in mind, we make it for every, like we're, you make it 12 times a year. At I'm least. sure I slipped. A few years ago. But it's been a few years. Yeah, because, I mean, sometimes the temptation gets the better of me. And the kids eat, and I eat, a lot of things you can't eat. You make mashed potatoes for them and vegetables for them. We had broccoli tonight. You didn't have broccoli. I had broccoli. And you cooked it. You're cooking all the time stuff you can't eat regularly. Yes. I think I'm going to come across as a real asshole in this show, in this episode. Is that okay? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, I think. It's just, it's hard for people to wrap around that a small amount of something could make you so sick. And it's only because my immune system now is like on hyperdrive. Right. And so if it gets, you know, my my body just still reacts. To lots of things. Drastically to, you know, any of the invading things. And then we aren't even talking really about the gut flora and... But effectively what happens when this stuff gets wonked is other things grow that feed off of things that cause side effects. So, for example, broccoli. The reason you can't eat broccoli is there's a flora in you that will cause over a period of time more digestive trouble. And your digestive tract is already in in a stress point. So it gets worse. They call it dysbiosis. Dysbiosis. What the heck does that mean? It means that the harmonious balance of the internal flora, fauna and bacteria is grossly out of balance. Well, thank you for talking to me about this and sharing it with everybody. I'm going to use this as a primer for people when they ask, hey, what can I make for Maggie? I can go listen to this episode. <laughs> Skip to halfway no, no, point. No, no, no. I, I, I do appreciate the efforts. And, and sometimes it's just hard because it's a kitchen that has a lot of gluten-y things in it. Right. And you can't even risk the cross-contamination. Um, we didn't mention you also didn't drink any alcohol or any, and you don't eat any sugar. It's that oh. the wine and what's no, what do you no. miss the most god wine cheese or bread oh jesus <laughs> cake um i i think the things that the top five coffee with cream yeah wine it's interesting coffee is the one you slip on sometimes like coffee is the one, the one i i do i i flirt with coffee like i'll you, try drinking decaf for a while and then just like any good drug addict, then all of a sudden I'm doing the hard stuff. Um, wine. I lost wine. And that's just. I, and you were former sommelier, so wine's important to you. I love wine. Um, so it would be coffee, probably chocolate next, wine, and then cakey sort of things like, you know, cake. Like an old-fashioned cho- uh, chocolate. Chocolate cake. cake. Or yes. a donut. 
A donut. Oh my God, a donut. Okay. Let's stop doing this. We'll get too hard and sad. Donut. <laughs> but yeah. That's only in the episode. Donut. And, and, you know, the problem is, is that the sugar feeds the bacteria that's not so beneficial. And, you know, it just is kind of this slippery slope of. I had an interesting diet thing that's kind of like this. And that is that when we started seeing each other and you weren't doing bread, I stopped eating bread. It's just like kind of a standard thing when you don't have bread in the house. And. After a period of time, I was actually able to eat eggs again. And when I was 12, I couldn't eat eggs anymore. Anytime I ate eggs, I'd get sick. And so not, you know, digestively problematic. In the bathroom <laughs> a lot. Um, <laughs> you from this one, right? In any case, I did that, you know, that was for 30 years. And then I stopped eating bread. And now I eat eggs all the time. And no problems at all. So our guts are complicated. Our guts are complicated. People are complicated. People are complicated and our guts are complicated and everybody experiences the world differently. And that's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. What did we hear? We're listening to Sam Harris was interviewing somebody and they, they couched the human experience as time that we are time. Love that. We didn't finish that. I want to keep hearing that. But I really, I loved that idea. We're not in time or fighting time. We are Art. manifestation of time. We are a manifestation of time on this plane of existence for a certain amount of time. Right. So we are essentially that time. Which is wonderful because, of course, when you're in the moment and you're really like present, completely in the moment and present, that is the sensation that it's just what you are. Yeah. As yeah. this mo- almost momentum, but who you are. And I love, I just love that idea that so the entire I, time you're the one person, which is actually always different because you're a piece of time. Oh, I love it. I do too. I want to play so, more. We so don't talk I, about this. Let's I want to play with that more because it does take it out of all of this stuff, you know, this corporeal meat body yeah. stuff. You know, the meat body is a complicated thing, but um, I loved that idea that what we are is a period of time. The meat body is a complicated thing. The meat body. There, there's your title. <laughs> the meat body is a complicated thing. Um, well, you know, being human is a complicated thing. <laughs> it is. Thank you, you for closing out this show with me. I hope this was interesting. I think it's great. Of course, I love you and I love talking with you. So, but I, bet- I think this is the longest conversation we've had in a month. <laughs> you know, early in the month when you were keeping up with them and you were listening, we were talking a lot about the episodes. That's true. We were. I got yeah. I got behind when I, I got sick. Yeah. You were nauseous and out of out of sorts for 10 days. Yeah, that was not. That was the thing you said the other night is that you were so bummed about losing 10 days of yourself. <gasps> not of time, but of not yourself. Not of self. Ooh. <laughs> I wonder I wonder if like three years we'll be like, wait, what? Time what? people? Time? That doesn't make any sense. No, no, I thought I I I really wanna I wanna explore that more because I really like thinking of myself as you know, thus far and you know so so luckily, you know, fifty five years on you know, just a little you whisper of your age. Oh, I'm all about I'm I'm with my age. Who are you? No, I am. I just, um, 
I can't believe it's gone by so fast. I, you know, inside I'm You've still. You've gone by so fast. Yeah. I've gone by so fast. I miss, I, I've missed, I mean, a whole nother conversation. You haven't noticed some of you. I, I've missed some of me doing all the other things. Yeah. It's a really great way. I mean, to circle back to this whole journaling practice that I've been doing this yeah. month, which is brought a lot of more awareness to how I spend my time and you mean how you spend yourself, how I spend myself. Oh my God, this is so good. Oh, it's fun. <laughs> oh, we because, might, we might just wait, be wait, high wait. on it right now. But yeah, but, but the concept of wasting time is wasting yourself. Oh man, that's, that's harsh. That's like a punch. To the and gut. it's different than wasting your life because that feels like way too global. That's so bold. That, that whole idea of wasting your life is ridiculous. That, what does that even mean? That's a I, judgment on, on yourself, on being existing. But this idea know. of, you're not wasting your life, whatever you're doing. You're living it. Now, trying to re- reframe our new... We're going to play in this mental oh, jungle much. gym for yeah. a while. We have I'm all done. of February to play, play with this <laughs> Hey, we'll get to talk to each other in February. I know. Get I'm to hang out. I'm out with you. <laughs> I've missed you. I'm actually looking forward to sleeping. I'm looking forward to you sleeping as well. I've been keeping you awake with my snoring because I haven't been sleeping well. This is the craziest thing, so people. Is like he comes to bed at 3.30 or 4 in the morning and then he proceeds to snore for like three and a half hours and then he falls into a very deep, deep sleep. Oh, I didn't know I stopped snoring when you wake up. (laughs) No, no. Or when I give up (laughs) and go elsewhere. So you like stand up, leave the room and you hear me quiet now. No, Um, sometimes I can hear you snoring from the other. From downstairs or from the the ROR, the room requirement. Sometimes in the ROR, sometimes the. I love that you just said RR like it was like no big deal. You understand that that's a weird thing that we do by calling our art studio the room of requirement. I think is that's it, lovely. Is it weird that we call the pantry that is built into the staircase Harry's bedroom? No, I think that makes sense. And our dogs are named after uh, part of, uh, bosons. That's totally fine. We're, we're geeky. I think we should leave it here, but I did kind of want to close a bit about the show about this podcast series and the future of it because it's the last episode oh you're getting sad of course i absolutely love this and it hasn't been healthy for us (laughs) well maybe it has but well i mean it's truly impossible to record every day record for one and a half to two hours and then spend five hours editing and work your regular, not eight, not nine, but 10 hour days and participate in your family and, you know, do things like dishes and garbage. And I did do, I was kind of on top of the dishes for the first half of the month. Like I was doing them as much as I normally do. I You're say I was really doing, trying. I was, <laughs> thank you. That's the right no, way no, to no. It. I That's totally, <laughs> I totally saw that. You were really trying. It's very gracious of you. It was like you made you made you made a New Year's resolution to not slack on on house stuff. No, it wasn't. It was really like, well, I'm doing this podcast thing, but I still have to like I'm going to do this. Also, the there's been other issues with your your hands and washing water and having some pain from that. We won't get into that, but um, unless you want to, it's just another another thing. Another allergic so because reaction. Because of that, I wanted to you know, get my hands wet instead of your hands yes. wet. So that was a bit of motivation. 
Um, but also sometimes the dishes were a way for me to, to delay doing the editing. Part of the problem about editing is that sometimes I don't want to do it. And when you have to do it all day, you know, you have to do everyone every day. You well, just... you have to confront all of the things that come along with editing. I mean. You listened to Tom's episode, yeah? Yep. So um, one of the things that Tom brought up was the joy he's having in getting older. Yeah. And then you, for the first time, kind of publicly just said your age. And, you know, you've always joked about, you don't talk about your age and don't, you know, we don't have birthdays for you and stuff. But the birthday thing sounds like it's more about the parties or cacophonous. <laughs> yeah. The birthdays are overwhelming. Like the party, the party part of the birthday is overwhelming. I think it's great. The thing you do for people for their birthdays is you bring them flowers. Like not throwing a party for people necessarily. Sometimes. But you, we used to, I mean, we threw a lot, tons of parties with the kids. Anyway. Um, and, and I do love, um, a party with my friends. I mean, it's not like I don't enjoy that process. And you love dancing. I like dancing and music. And, you used to go to punk concerts all the time. You know, I did. That we, that we, like we could you. touch, we could touch on that. Um, there was something about the overstimulation that, uh, was a stress reliever when I was a teenager mm-hmm. and a young adult was that somehow I found a quiet place in the assault. That's interesting. And and I know, you know, and I remember it fading away and becoming cacophonous. You do. I do. I I remember it shifting. We change in our time, our life. We do. Um, The reason I brought up Tom is that, and you, is that he talked about aging and kind of enjoying it and retirement, enjoying it. And then after that podcast, you mentioned you're 55, 55 or 54? 55. And I was surprised you said that. Is that partly the reason you're owning it because of what Tom said? Or is there something else going on that all of a sudden it feels okay? No. My, my, my relationship with the chronological age just really has to do with the disconnect that it doesn't match what I perceive me as. Yeah. I don't, I mean... Everyone will say this. Every human has uttered this phrase, which is, you know, when I was X age, 55 was old and it doesn't feel that old physically because of health stuff. Yeah, I'm I'm in touch with that. I can't do. And it's so aggravating not physically being able to do what I could do in my 20s or 30s. That's another piece of advice from us. If you're in your 20s or 30s or 40s or 50s, do everything you possibly can. Oh, yeah. The next day you won't, decade, you won't be able to do some of those well, things. Well, yeah. What was beautiful about what Tom was speaking to and has been speaking to just so beautifully over the last 10 years of this process for him is how he has stepped into this experience just wholeheartedly. Yeah. Like, this is my retirement. This is my, this is me. This is me. This is, this is my now. It's refreshing, isn't it? It's so refreshing. But it's also just been so glorious to watch him um, come into this. And I don't know if it was in part being intimately involved in, in Shirley's care. Um, the loss my of grandmother his, is, his a lo- the loss of his sister. You know, I mean, the losses in our lives are pretty profound. 
transitional pivot points in our lives, but his just sheer joy in almost everything. <laughs> Pretty great. God, he's just, he's here now. Okay. So now that we're here now at the very end of the episode, because I need to go to bed, so we have to finish soon. So I can yes. edit. This Do is you... not where I say, um, 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 you know. What what do you think? I mean, first off, what I've said to people when they say, are you going to continue this? Are you going to do it like less frequent or blah, blah, blah? Oh, okay. I keep on saying, you know, I'm going to think about that in February. That was the question that I had for you. My, my big question to you is, what is it about, because you do this with photographs too. We have gigs and gigs and gigs and more gigs of pictures that we never see. More than a thousand gigs, actually. More than a thousand gigs. I see them all the time. I look at them all the time. River and I were looking at the day. Right. Well, but they're not printed, though. They're not printed. They're not. I'll go print all of them for you. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, over 250,000 photos. Yeah. Over that. I'm curious to you about. I'm curious to you. That's lovely. I'm curious to you about. Here, here's my platter of curiousness for you. What is it that is so compelling to you about recording it? Crafting it, and I mean the editing of it, and then putting it out into the ether. Because everyone that you've talked to has just been just amazing, amazing. And, you know, most of these people are, we're so lucky to have them in our lives, like on a daily basis. And then yeah. people we haven't seen for years, like Pawnee. Yeah. Um, I'm getting wistful because, damn it, COVID. You know, Jen asked a similar question to me yesterday to start the interview, and I didn't air it. Mm. Let me let you listen to that right now. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. And all, all of us will listen to it right now. Cool. And sometimes somebody will say something great, and I'll be like, wait, did they know their own mic yet? Well, they don't, and I have to find, decide to use it or not. So, Do you like interviewing people because you're ultimately an archivist, or do you like interviewing people because you're ultimately an anthropologist? <laughs> That's going to be my question for you. <laughs> um. I wouldn't. I would say I'm not an archivist, but archivist because I'm not very. What am I good at? Is anybody good at archiving? Well, no. I'm talking about ultimate purpose. In other words, are you interested in having this for the record? And is and that's being an archivist, right? Okay, because you feel a record should be kept. It's sort of about immortality and longevity, right? Whereas um, an anthropologist is much more interested in. I want to understand you right now because I need to understand people, and I'm not entirely sure that I understand. And I, the more I know, the better I will understand. The, the latter, definitely. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do like the archiving quality of it just because it allows me to be reminded. Um, because I've, you know, for the technology program, it's, there's been so many years of me doing it that I just don't, I don't have the capacity to remember every interview. So I definitely like the archive. It's mostly for that purpose. Yeah. It's mostly for that purpose. I also have this feeling like if you put stuff on the internet and you're thinking that it will go away, that's not true. Right. And mentally it's very hard to think that way because of course, whatever's in front of us, we embody and we know about and stuff that's virtual never is really in front of you. And so there's this weird feeling like it's gone when you stop thinking about it, but there is persistence in the internet. And so part of the archiving capability, like it's on the internet and it will be on the internet forever is that I make sure to keep it there. And that does this thing of, making me think it's all anybody could listen to at any point, which I think allows me to feel more like it's 
has a permanence. But why does permanence matter? In other words, is it about wisdom? Is it about wisdom? I mean, if if you think about the geek speak and historically technology changes over time, there's immediate wisdom, which is how you fix something now that in 10 years doesn't exist if you don't need to fix it, right? So then it's that particular kind of wisdom isn't useful 10 years down the line because that technology is no longer there. Mm-hmm. But in terms of interviewing people about their lives and their work and their jobs, it seems like the point is to share it. So if you're sharing it, why are you sharing it for you? Yeah. Well, I think for this series, I intended to do it to affect myself, to give myself some change or some experience to embrace creation every day to, and partially because I've noticed when I'm not doing that, I'm a little less, happy in my life. And then while doing it, I realized how I don't have these kind of conversations with people regularly. I mean, some people we do, like, I think we all, the four of us chat a lot like this at some level and stay too up, like, up too late doing so. But most of the time there's these people in my life that I just really appreciate. And I just think about them every once in a while. And since I'm not a card sender or anything like that, they don't know I'm thinking about them. So it's become much more of an, a personal thing about exploring people that I enjoyed and have not spent time talking with. That's nice. Yeah. Yeah. But the archiving, I mean, whether it persists indefinitely and whether that's like a form of wisdom or something, there is something for me about, I have a pretty poor memory and my digital archive of a dress book is like important to me in some strange way because it represents holding on to people that have faded away or whatever. And I use some online services like that, too. I'll, I'll look on LinkedIn for people I used to work with that I never really made a connection with just to see who they are, mostly for my own memory of it. I think if I journaled, it would probably be different. Mm. Why don't you put your headphones on? Okay. By the way, all of that I might actually use because that was lovely. Okay, that's totally <laughs> fine. Okay, what do you think? I see you as an the anthropologist yeah. instead of the archivist. And I think you said something in the middle of it, but I wasn't recording. I said something about about understanding or Yeah, no, I think that you're you're definitely a student and intrinsically interested in understanding people's processes. Not so much to get the answer of why but how are you thinking about this? What steps did you take to get there? How did you reflect on your journey? And the story and the humanity based in that story, like the, the, that I've seen you or have witnessed you having the most or being the most affected by uh, in these conversations. In addition to that, you you of us are the social creature and to be inquisitive and to talk to people on a intimate level. And I don't mean that. I just mean like having a real conversation, not a superficial conversation. You know, that's, that's some of your, your fuel. Yeah. In listening to this again from, from Jen and me talking, I never really answered the question to why to publish it. And we actually, in this episode, which you haven't heard yet, we talk a lot about the reason for creation and what art is and all those things. It's, you'll like the talk. You like Jen, so you'll like it. Um, 
But what I'm getting, one thing that I kind of thought about in this last couple, last couple of weeks is that we have, and this has been a theme in the podcast, we have this idea of what social media is, meaning media that you connect with people um, through the internet, right? That other people connect. Not you necessarily, but, <laughs> yeah. but you do too. I mean, we talked about stuff that you use that's social based. It's not massive social, it's small social, you know, like the, the Marco Polo thing. Oh, right? that's true. Text messaging. There's a lot of tech that we're yes. using. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So there's a lot of text that we're using that is about social connection. And then there's these large corporations that own the term social net, you know, social uh, media. And the internet is still, even with those faults and those problems and those issues, the internet concept, the backbone idea that you can connect communication systems for any media type and make it very cheap and easy for people to both participate by creating and by consuming and in real time communicate like, like our phones and our texts, that is something that still exists and still strong and we haven't even tapped what the forms actually are. Right, and I think that that touches upon what Jennifer mentioned. That is the archive. That is that is the archive process. Possibly, yeah. I think your pursuit of this this process this this month of of connecting with people has been, you know, that of the um, anthropologist. But p- making it public right. is so, perhaps the act of the archivist. It's not, but the archive is not the crucial piece for me. I think what my what this exploration is is other ways to use technology to connect with people. We have, you know, short form media. We have TikToks, right? We have rapid clickbait content we can produce ourselves. You can make a funny video and then dance to it on TikTok, right? You can, people can create those things. All the platforms kind of support creation. You can make long form instructional YouTube videos on a topic you know, or how to take apart a dishwasher or how to sew a dress a certain way. And there's also the ability to listen into conversations with people. I really like those. I like um, the Huberman podcast, for example. I like, uh, you mentioned him earlier, the guy. Sam Harris. Sam Harris's podcast where he interviews intelligent people. There are a lot of interesting conversations in that form. And I've, I've always been nervous about doing that because it feels like you really need to only interview experts. And to be clear, I've very much interviewed some experts, right? Jennifer yesterday was for a great example. She's a, an expert in art history, right? But that's not what we were really talking about. We're talking about everybody's an expert in their human condition. Everybody's an expert of their perception and their way of engaging the world. And the more we understand the differences people are going through, we can learn from that, but we can also have the empathy to understand other people. To me, that's a really good use for technology. Yeah. I think that's what this exploration is about, is showing there's other forms. Other forms of using this technology, using your powers for good. Yeah. Yeah. As a technologist, techno... What is the term? I tried to use it with... Technophile? Technophile. Thank you. I kept on using phobic. I'm like, that's not the right term. Technophile. You are not technophobic. (laughs) (laughs) Am I a technophile? I guess I love tech. Yeah. You do love tech. Yeah. You, okay. you do get excited about the new shiny. You get excited about sometimes too. Occasionally. I'm in love with my new headphones. My Bose noise counseling. Are you going to actually get diagnosed with the this thing? I don't know. I don't know. This thing? This That's thing. the thing about it that I just don't like. All of us have a thing. It's called who we are. <laughs> we don't have to label See, it really. That, 
That's the thing. So, well, a while back, I was trying to tell you the story about when I was diagnosed with dyslexia. Um, so I go through this battery of tests, and we all sit down with the folks with the white coats, and they say, well, she's classically dyslexic. And my mother turns to me indignant and says, oh, why didn't you tell us? And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that's the crux of exactly what you've been doing all month. Right. Is you, you have to ask. You have to really try to ask what's going on. Is the, all they have is their internal perceptions. All you really have. I mean, we play this dance with all the other people in our lives. But the real isness of it all is really all we have is this internal dialogue and experience of all this, you know, don't want to get metaphysical on everybody, but you know. You can use columns from Bonnie and Deanna. Zachary, the columns. All the columns. All the columns. Well, I've I've started to think about the columns. I've actually was earlier today talking with Christina about um, columns of introversion and extroversion and how they they move in tandem. So, you know, at any one point situation, you could be four units of of extrovert and two units of introvert, and then you know, at the next column for the next experience, you're like. 12 on the introvert scale and, you know, two on the introvert scale. When you were visualizing that column metaphor that Bonnie was talking about from Deanna um, and we were talking about it, were you envisioning what describe what it looks like to you? Oh, my God. It's this vast, beautiful Excel spreadsheet. And it has. (laughs) I knew it it was going Excel spreadsheet. I love it. (laughs) And it has. I probably speak too wistfully about Excel spreadsheets. And it, it it's actually a pivot table, but um, and oh, three dimensional columns, and I could see them ebbing and flowing and filling, and 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 then I was just like, oh, but what about like, does your backpacking columns for each trip like spill over into each other trip? Anyway. And that's when you get confused about memories. No, that's and when I go, let's not edit. Let's go to bed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Maggie. I like how you think. <laughs> oh, God. Don't don't start me on columns. You ask me how I think. If I am completely overwhelmed, I start columnizing things in my brain because I can't. The static and the overwhelm and the sheer noise of it all is just I have to start stacking things in my brain or else I'll never get back to baseline. I think the thing that got me thinking about that other people think different and feel different and experience different than me had to do with one of our kids talking about having um, a burr in their clothes or like a folded piece of cloth or an, um, what is it, the back of the, the label? Tags. The tags. And one of our kids was highly sensitive to the tags and it was really annoying. It's like, come on, just get over it. Just get over it. Just get over it. And finally, I think the doctor, or maybe we read a book. You showed me a book. And it was like, okay, the person that feels the tag in their shirt, just go take like a, a sharp plastic scratchy thing that will kind of cut you and glue that to inside of your shirt and wear it for five minutes. That's what it feels like to the person that feels that sensation. And that's an individual experience. Totally. You can't, and asking feels- people to get over 
They're you couldn't get over it. <laughs> to get, you know, put a tack in your shoe. Right. That's exactly, exact great example. And put a tack in your shoe and, and tell say, get somebody over it. to get over it. And so, but to, it, it, you know, Marina put it so beautifully because she spoke to, your, your question to her is, how do you, do you have compassion for the person who is suffering? At something minor compared to her, right? Something yeah. minor. And her her response was, you know, an overwhelming yes. Because when you when you've had an experience of of extraordinarily extraordinarily different experience to the general populace, um, you can't help but just recognize a level of discomfort or suffering in another being, and that it's personal. And that it's personal and that that it, it, comparative suffering is, in this culture is so freaking toxic. <laughs> comparative, it's com- competitive suffering. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess you could. Yeah, yeah. You, you could take it to that level. But comparing my suffering to your suffering is 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 ridiculous yeah. because our experiences of this existence is different, different yeah. even though we share a life and so many of our factors are the same, but um, how it touches us, how we process it. Um, of course you have compassion for the suffering and, and, I think that's what's so hurtful about, you know, to kind of circle back, you know, to tell somebody to get over the tag in their shirt or the scary movie or um, being teased, being. Yeah. God, why? Why do people spend energy teasing and being hurtful to other people? And then and then and then the phrase is you're too sensitive. Right. All of these sensations are felt differently by each person. And your feeling of just a wisp of a, an annoyance is somebody else's burning skin. And that is like a real thing that just because you can handle one thing and not other things doesn't mean other people are the same as you. And we and don't. It's and we, so hard to know that. What's that It's like horrible? empathy breaks because you can't feel what they're feeling because you don't know what the sensation is. So you've got to trick your empathy by going, oh, they're feeling attack in the back of their shirt. Oh, yeah, I could not handle that. But it doesn't even need to be that. You know, it's not. I, I hate this phrase. I hate it. Well, then don't say. No, it's 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 just so cruel. Um, but in some ways, it's really accurate um, that that they use it on the the chat, the political chat snowflake. Like, don't oh, snowflake. Don't be a snowflake. Don't be a snowflake. Because you're too fragile. Because you're too fragile. Don't be a snow. Snowflakes are beautiful. So every snowflake is different and they're intricate and complicated. You I know, think that's great. Go don't get, be a snowflake is wonderful. Go, go get go get a microphone because damn it, be a flipping snowflake. <laughs> go be a snowflake. <laughs> yeah, because but but and then understand. I mean, if you could, I mean, wax poetic here. Look at snowflakes. If you've ever really done that, mm. like looked at the crystalline form 
um, under a microscope. It's really freaking amazing. There are great it's great archives it's, online. See, the internet's yeah. okay. And or, or you can watch Ice Crystal Close, or you can get kind of the same if you watch under a microscope um, Sugar Crystal Swarm, because they do some, but they're Similar. their patterning can be more repetitive. Um, but Maggie, I need to go to sleep. I need to edit all this. Sorry. <laughs> But I mean, I, I just, I just, I guess the greatest lesson of, of this neurodiverse um, adventure we've had with a child and seeing, you know, learning, being told by doctors that this is hereditary and then realizing, oh, great. Hi. <laughs> oh, yes. I see all of these things in how I've experience the world um no i don't know if i'll do anything official or or you mean have yourself tested or whatever if that's necessary i can avail myself to the supports and um and uh i i I think there's great limit liberation in just going oh yay i'm not broken i'm just me i not only that but I think, you know, beautifully in our culture right now, there's a huge discussion with, you know, and fuck it, I don't need to think like everybody else. And the way I think is not wrong. And I'm not too flippin' sensitive. And I get to experience my one crazy, beautiful, brutal life, how my brain sees fit. Thank you very much. And, you know... The fact that I don't think like you mm. and I I do not have the capacities to conform to your normative Are desires. Are you me or the world? The world. Okay. You just happen to be my eyeline. Sorry. <laughs> and this is white guy in the room. Your thing. <laughs> <laughs> I get what I'm saying. It's you, you, like, I'm sorry. I cut you off. You said um, just because I don't conform to your norms. Yeah. It, there, there's something so incredibly liberating and, um, you know, not having to throw up that mask anymore um, has been like writing myself the flip and permission slip to... To find out who you are without masking. Not, it, it, it's, God, it's so exhausting. Yeah. It's so exhausting to have recognized. So what does that mean for me? Um, I used to force myself, like literally force myself to do things in my life because I thought I should. This is what a person should do. And there's still some gross examples of me doing that. Because I've made commitments and I will see them through. But, um, you know, I can see my future where where I just go, no, I, I'm sorry. Thank you. And no. I'm, I'm not going to go to the action movie. I'm, I'm not. Yeah. Because I can think of, you know, I can put my Bose noise-canceling headphones on and then the sounds of the world can not be so sharp and pokey for two hours and I could draw or so 
so or um weed or um do something that will feed my soul and you can go do what feeds your soul um it's a beautiful rainbow of humans Damn straight. Damn straight. I think we need to celebrate that. And and I really it I, I do not think you start understanding how people are so similar and how they operate so differently. Like seeing in this series is one of the common questions I asked everybody, pretty much everybody, do you have an inner voice? And what do you do when it's de- degrading yourself? Like when it's attacking you? Oh my god. I think I'm going to allow that to be something we talk about. Um, and not keep on going on the podcast. Or maybe we'll pick it up in a couple of weeks when I feel like recording another one. We'll go on. But um, I want everybody to... has that problem. It does. The internal the internal critic can be really harsh. and Except for Quincy Larson. <laughs> oh, I need to know who Quincy Larson is. <laughs> He's the uh, person that runs Free Code Camp. Oh, oh Quincy. Yes. yes yeah. Oh, I... And I am jokingly say that because I think he was one of the people that said, no, I don't really have that. Yeah. Anywho, we all are like this. We all have this critique. We all have these sufferings. We all have these issues in the world that we try to compensate for. And we put up barriers to protect ourselves. And the truth is a little bit of vulnerability to friends and family and understanding, having them understand who you are and understanding who they are is really the trick. It's the trick to not feeling like you're isolated. And it's the trick to understanding that you're experience though hard is what everybody's doing you're not alone in it yeah i'm all choked up now i think the hardest next step for me is going to be getting in touch where my big gaps are and instead of investing copious amounts of energy to cover them up or um maneuver myself in a way that that I'm not tripping over them and just say from the get-go I miss things and if it if I if we're working on this x together and you don't feel I'm getting it or that I've missed a, a, an important social cue I need you to let me know because I do I just miss them Maggie, I hear you. I miss things. I don't pick up on some <laughs> things. And when I don't, I would love it if you helped me see those things. Okay. Okay. I love you, Maggie. I love you, honey. I'm really looking forward to tomorrow night. <laughs> Sleeping. And thank you so much for listening to Lunch with Lyle. This has been a fun and amazing and intoxicating and challenging journey of 31 days of interviewing people that have an impact in my life. And I hope this whole thing has been impactful for you. If you do listen to the podcast, please go subscribe to this one because I'm sure at some point I will drop another episode into this feed because it's too good. It's too yummy. If you don't listen to podcasts, I recommend finding a podcast player for your phone and then searching for a few things because there is amazing content being created, knowledgeable, engaging, enriching, long-form, thoughtful things that you're not going to find on most social media. So, there you go. Go to podcasts instead of Facebook. That's my pitch for you. (laughs) 
I, I would vote for like art materials and the outdoors. Yeah, you can listen to you can do art materials and outdoors where you listen to podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> I think definitely anything that reduces the Facebook social media thing and actually allows you to engage in the real world. Yes. Pick up a phone. Call somebody. Well, I guess in COVID times we have to uh, Go on a walk. Yeah. Outside. Yeah, outside. With a mask. With a mask. Be careful. I feel a lot of love for the people that have participated in this. And I know that you've experienced something with me and I don't necessarily know who you are, or what your experience is. So when you do have a moment in these series and you thought about it, do let me know because it's such a blast to find out that something hit you and, and felt good. Um, my email is lyle at troxel.com. Feel free to email me or find me on socials. Good night, Maggie. Night, Lyle.